Today's Bible reading is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 5, 1-11. Good morning. We're in Romans chapter 1, still in the introduction to the book. He's still giving an example of who he is to the people in Rome that he's never, well, the majority he's never met. A few of them he has, but not the majority. Last week, I asked you to put your hand up and pick one person in your life. Today is going to be easier. I won't ask you to put your hand up, and I'm going to tell you to think about all the people in your life. Last week, we talked about how to have a spiritual and eternal impact on somebody's life. We talked about how it must start with a spiritual heart. You have to have, you have to serve God in your spirit. You have to have a spiritual goal in the preaching of the gospel of his son to them. You must have divine support. You must have God as your witness. You must have physical prayer and unceasing prayer, making mention of uh, the person always in, their, in your prayers, making a request. And then you must have physical opportunity by God's will, being at last, being able to see somebody by God's will and those, uh, those chance meetings that are not chance, divine appointments. Then you have to serve them. You have to physically serve them uh, so that, that they succeed. Now, if I write you a card, or a letter, or an email, and you uh, read it out loud and measure with a stopwatch how long it takes to read, that is not how long it takes me to write it. Okay? I sweat over those emails and letters and cards. I want to say the right thing, so I'm always being very, very careful. It takes me... If you can read it in a minute, it probably took me an hour to write, okay? It takes me a long time to get the right words in the right place and the right grammar so that I can be confident to write you a thank you card or something, okay? But usually, 
your character doesn't come out that way. Your character is not something you can plan on to share with somebody. What happens is things happen and you react. And that shows your character. That shows what you depend upon, what you trust, what you believe in. That reaction tells you a lot about yourself. This morning, my goal is to prepare you for all the actions you will have this week with people you come in contact with. Now, it may be a planned meeting you have on your calendar for months. It may be a spur of the moment, knock on your door. But I'm going to get you ready to have an impact on those people and show your biblical character. Oh, you don't look excited. I'm going to give you a great gift, okay? I'm going to make you ready for every every appointment you have on your calendar and don't have on your calendar this week. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 11. Verse 11. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That you may be established. The first thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to have some short-term goals for the people he meets this week. You need to have some short-term goals for the people you meet this week. Whoever it is, whether they knock on your door unexpected or they're a planned meeting, you need to have some goals for your meeting with them. Here you go. First goal. First goal. And by the way, I'm going to call you a minister. Don't get offended. It's a good thing. Because if you are prepared and you have biblical goals for the people you're going to meet this week, you are a minister. Here you go. First thing. Ministers give spiritual help to other believers. Spiritual help to other believers. <clears throat> now I put believers in there because believers will accept spiritual help. <clears throat> you have an appointment with a non-believer, you still want to help them spiritually. But you may not be as blunt with them. You may have to be more cautious with them and minister to them a little differently. But you still want spiritual goals to give spiritual help to the person. Notice the beginning of the verse, I long for, uh, present active. He's talking about imparting spiritual gifts about establishing believers, establishing people. He wants you to long, he wants you to know that he longs for you like a baby longs for his mother's milk, like a, like a baby animal doesn't go too far from his mother. 
He longs for you. You long like a deer trying to find water. A strong desire to be with them. So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. May impart. Paul wants to have a firm promise to God and these people that he sees benefit in coming to them. That he sees a spiritual benefit for them to interact with Paul. He still believes that he could impart spiritual gifts for the building up of the church in Rome. Now the spiritual gift he's talking about here is not uh, what we call a, uh, 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 a spiritual gift given to a church. You know, uh, in the end of Romans, there's a list in chapter 12 of spiritual gifts, evangelism, caring, serving, leadership, all those administration, all those gifts, the gifts. I don't think he's talking about here. He's talking about a spiritual impact on another person by the way of grace. An impact on a person where he is not uh, giving them something, but that he is doing a spiritual work for them. Now, every person who comes into your door this week, you want to have a spiritual impact on them. If they're a believer, you want to encourage them in their faith. If they're a non-believer, you want to encourage them that they need the Lord as their Savior. You want to minister to them and serve them in a spiritual way. And like grace, you want to give it to them without any payment or payback from them. You don't do something to them and expect return. You do it by grace. You serve them freely and graciously. You minister to them. A servant needs to have a giving heart for those you will have appointments with this week. Every person you come in contact with is not by chance or luck, but by an appointment by God. And God wants you to minister to them the same way Paul wants to minister to the Romans. Paul will do it through his preaching and teaching. You will do it through your ministry to them. Maybe you'll preach. Maybe you'll teach. Maybe you'll counsel. Whatever it is, the goal God has for you to minister and serve them, you do it. Second, second, what are Paul's short-term ministry goals for the people in Rome? Notice the end of the verse. That you may be established. That you may be established. Ministers are to give spiritual strength to believers. To give spiritual strength to believers. You want them to be stronger leaving your office than when they came to your office. You want them to grow and be stronger. Ministers give spiritual strength to believers. You want them to be established. You want them to grow in power. You want God to work through you to them. You literally could translate this to be comforted or encouraged together. It is God who does the strengthening of people through your work. Paul saw himself as the great middleman. God here. Then Paul. Then the people he served. You this week, when you have an appointment with somebody, I want you to think of this diagram. God sending you than that person. God sends you. 
God has strengthened you and got you ready for this week's appointments. God has prepared you with everything He needs you to have. And all you have to do is reflect what God would say to that person. And you minister to them. And you love them. And you try to make them stronger than when they came into your office. The word here shows that it's talking about your character being stronger. Your character being stronger. The person you want their character to leave stronger than when they came in. To be established them in their spiritual life. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We're going to go from the first chapter to the last chapter. I want you to notice the second time he uses this word established. He uses it, by the way, this will be a great sermon when we get to chapter 16. Okay, You'll forget what I'm going to tell you now, in between now and then, but it will be great in a couple of years. <laughs> Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. He uses this word established again. Notice what he says. He says, now to him who is able to establish you. Same root word. Now, the good thing is, is that in chapter 16, he gives a list of things that make you established. In other words, he gives you a list of things that make you stronger. He now gives you a list of things how you can make the people that come into your office stronger. Here it comes. Pay attention. There are six points here real quick. First, you according to my gospel. The gospel message is one way that will make a person that comes to your meeting stronger. You give them some part of the good news. Two, the preaching of Jesus Christ. You tell them about Jesus Christ. (laughs) Whatever you learned about Jesus Christ the day before, you share with them about Jesus Christ. Third, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret, which has to go back with the gospel, with the preaching of Christ, with the coming of Jesus Christ, you share with them a word from God. Third, fourth, and but verse 26, but now is manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. In other words, you can quote something from scripture. Primarily the Old Testament is what he's referring to here. But anything from scripture you share with them. Fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever number I'm on. And according to the commandments of the internal God. If you come, if you, somebody comes into your room, this office, and you minister to them, make them stronger, you'll remind them of command that comes from God. Now, you don't have to say, here's a command from God. But you can share with them a command from God in a very loving way. And then six, and has been made to known to all nations leading to obedience of faith. You want their faith to be obedient. You want their faith to be stronger. You want their faith to be in keeping with the uh, commands of God. So, in chapter 16, he gives us the answer for chapter 1. <laughs> this will be a great sermon. You're going to like this sermon. I'll predict it. Um, you'll like this sermon. You'll forget everything today, but you'll remember this is a good sermon. 
Matter of fact, you can probably write in the margins of your Bible. But anyway, you, you don't need the answers now. Here we go. You make somebody stronger by telling them about Jesus Christ. You make somebody stronger by telling them how to be saved. You make somebody stronger by giving them a command that comes from God they need to obey. You tell somebody... You share with them God's will. What God wants for them. And you share it. And they will be stronger. Now, go back to chapter 1, verse 12. Romans 1, verse 12. Here's a change in the story. What will the church in Rome do for Paul? What will the church in Rome do for Paul? Verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. What will the church in Rome do for Paul? First, I want you to notice that believers will physically encourage those that spiritually feed them. Physically encourage those who feed them. In other words, if you have to go into somebody's office this week and they minister to you the gospel of Christ, the preaching of Christ, the commands of God, you, God's will, when somebody feeds you the word of God, Paul expects that believer to respond by physically encouraging the minister, the person. This is good. He says, I want to come to Rome because when I come, I know you will encourage me. Any meeting you... By the way, you have a bad week. Let's say Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday go bad. Bad, 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 bad. However bad is. You have a bad Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know how to fix it on Thursday? You call a believer from this church and say, hey, let's go to lunch Thursday. And you know what will happen on Thursday? You'll have a better day. Because you meet with that believer And that believer, in meeting with them, and if you talk about spiritual things, and you pray together, and you encourage one another, you will go back to work with a better mood. You have a support group that will encourage you. So, here you go. Believers will be Encouraged, physically encouraged by those who feed them spiritually. Now, do you understand? This is Paul, the greatest theologian ever in the universe. He says, I will go to you young believers, and one of the things I expect is you young believers to encourage me. Do you, do you, it's like, just amazing that Paul would say such a crazy thing. That he wants to meet with this young believing church and expects them to encourage him. 
But see, you put one believer in a room with another believer, and it doesn't matter who that person is, how strong he is, how good his theology is, if two believers get together, there will be encouragement both ways. Encouragement both ways. That they may be encouraged together. Paul never thought he was above somebody spiritually. He thought that both all believers will encourage one another and edify one another. Paul needs their encouragement. A servant needs to have a humble heart with those who serve them. Now I've seen guys who think they're better than others and have a very prideful attitude inside the church. I've seen that. But those guys (laughs) don't have the heart Paul has. Paul has a humble, humble heart. And every appointment you have this week, you need to have a humble heart. And if you have a bad Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you need to have a humble heart and call up another believer and say, help. And humble yourself. Matter of fact, let's go, uh, let's go to another passage real quick. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is where our scripture reading was. 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to make sure you remember what was read to you and make sure you understand how to apply that to your week. This is key for your week. If, if, you, don't, um, if you don't throw this into your week, you're going to have a bad week. And there's going to be no way out of it. Okay, here it comes. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. The young, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Okay, in other words, talking about two believers in a church, one's younger, one's older. And all of you, including everybody else in the church, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself with humility. That's an excellent word. That's a word that talks in the imperative, and it's written aorist tense, point in time. So it seems to be a command that all believers are to do, and once you do it, once you have your apron of humility on you, you're not supposed to take it off. You do it once, and you should be able to keep humility on you the rest of your life. You clothe yourself with humility. I love that. You put an apron on. It's only found here in the Bible. It's the only time this Greek word applies in the Bible. You are to clothe yourself. Tie on the apron of a slave. And in that day and age, no free person would put on an apron of a slave. You wouldn't do that. Christians are to tie on humility. Everything you do this week, humility. If you have pride on Monday, you need to ask forgiveness Monday night. If you have pride on Monday and Tuesday, you're having a bad week. You need to have a repentance of that sin of pride. You have bad day on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You need to have repentance and get out of that pride and put on humility. If Thursday lunch with another believer doesn't, the believer doesn't say you need to put on humility, and they should say that, 
because of your pride. You have to hear that. You have to have humility each and every day this week. And if you have it, you'll be right in step with Paul. And right in step with that other believer and saying, I can learn from you. I can learn from you. And then what happens? God gives you grace. God gives you grace. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 12. That is, that I may encourage you together while among you. Paul wants to gain physical encouragement. Second, Paul wants to gain each other by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Believers spiritually encourage one another, those especially who feed them. Believers will spiritually encourage those who spiritually feed them. You come in a meeting with another believer, you want to encourage them spiritually by growing your faith. You want to give testimony that God is number one in your life and you trust Him with all your heart. And by doing that, you'll encourage the person you're talking to. And in this case, Paul says, you young believers at Rome, if I come, I know you will encourage me with your faith. I will see your faith, and you, with a growing faith, will encourage me. Now, sometimes, sometimes, not often, but I get depressed. And one of the things that gets me out of my depression is I think about the lives I've spent time with over the years. Now, God's given me a great number of times of discipling guys. I loved it when I went to San Diego and I had a youth group of about 200 people and one of the guys I discipled in Portland had a group of 500. (laughs) And I saw how God's working in his life and has bloomed this ministry that he had. And every time there's somebody that encourages me. And you know some of those. When I go on vacation and I have guys come here and preach, those are guys I've discipled in the past. By the way, you know why I'm not here listening to them? Because I'll be bawling like a little baby seeing those guys preaching. That's why I'm not here. That's why I don't invite them while I'm here. Okay? I'm serious. Those guys that God has given me over the years are what I look back on, and guess what happens? Smile comes to my face, and there's no longer any depression about if I'm doing the right thing with my life. God will do that. God does that. Both yours and mine. My faith, seeing your faith, will encourage me so that my faith grows. Paul says, my faith will grow by seeing your faith. Isn't that amazing? Again, the Apostle Paul, seeing your faith will make him grow. Yours and mine. And it seems like there, yours and mine, he's talking more emphasizing your faith over his. Yours and mine. 
that faith will grow. There are a number of verses in the Old Testament. Let me give you the reference and read you part of the verses and tell you about what humility will do for you. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And walk humbly with your God. In other words, it's a command. You walk humbly with God. That's a command. 2 Chronicles 12, 12. And the king Rehoboam humbled himself, and the anger of the Lord turned away from him. You humble yourself, God will forgive you when you repent. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. God is found by those who are humble. God is found by those who are humble. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19. Better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. God blesses the humble. God blesses the humble. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Then I hear from heaven. Turn, when I turn from my wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. When the people humble themselves, God hears the prayers of the humble. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his ways. God will lead and teach the humble. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember the way which the Lord has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you. God will put his people into circumstances that will humble you. Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar praised and exalted honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. God is able to humble the proud. God works and loves humility. God wants you to be humble this week. If you're humble with every appointment you have this week, you will have an impact on their lives. And God will bless you. God will bless you. Verse 13, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even also among the rest of the Gentiles. What will the church in Rome do for Paul? What will the church in Rome do for Paul? The church will praise God for delays. The church of God will praise God for delays. Paul has been on the mission field now at this point in his life 20 years. And for 20 years he's wanted to go to Rome. And he's never gone to Rome yet. Every time he's wanted to, he's been prevented. We had a good discussion in Sunday school about what prevented him. God, God's sovereignty, satanic attacks, uh, doing good things in the churches he was at. Whatever it was, those are doors that God closed. And it took him some understanding. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'll almost come across pridefully, but it's the truth. When I was in seminary, I, uh, it took me five years to complete the three-year course. Okay, 
Five years to complete three years. Because I was working full-time at churches while I was going to seminary. And getting my name out there. And, and it seemed like my senior year that a lot of guys were coming up saying they had churches that are waiting for them to graduate. And I said, that's cool. At Christmas time, my senior year, I got a phone call from a church in Los Angeles. I said, cool. He wanted a pastor for his college group, his singles group, and his young married group. And I said, cool. Los Angeles, singles, college, young marrieds. That's exactly what I wanted. That is God giving me a Christmas gift that would be the best I could imagine. And I said, yes, what do I have to do? So I went through all the interviews, all the talks with the pastor, and I had myself a job. And I said, i got to wait for my wife to pop. She's going to have a kid. As soon as the kid comes, we'll get on the U-Haul, and we'll be down there. So Carol finally pops. We have a kid, and we were ready to go and rent the U-Haul. So we rent the U-Haul. And I'm ready to go. We're one week away from moving to my new church, doing my dream job, which I thought this would be the last church I'll ever go to because I'll stay there forever. Okay? I have the U-Haul ready. Phone call comes from the pastor. I'm talking to him, going, how you doing, boss? And he says... I just got a note from my worship pastor that he's resigning. And I need to know if you can lead worship. And I said, you know, I'm not sure what the black notes are in the hymnal, but I can tell you yes. And after the first Sunday, you would know I wouldn't. I don't. So he said goodbye to me, and I said goodbye to my job. So we loaded up the U-Haul, and we moved to Southern California. And I said, well, if guys wanted to hire me before I graduated, I'm sure there'll be somebody that'll want to hire me after I graduate. I said, God's just got a better church a better dream job. First month went by. Second month went by. Third month went by. And we we're still in my mom's extra bedroom. Three months with my mom and dad is a long, 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 long time. Okay? I got an infant son and a wife. And I was having problems, three months. I said, Lord, I'm at the end of my three months. This is too much. I can't handle this. you got to help me. 
So we moved into our apartment. Fourth month, fifth month, every day putting out resumes. Sixth month, seventh month. I ended up getting a job working at the Long Beach City Hall working the beach patrol. The beach patrol sounds good, but what it is, is you go in every one of the parking lots, seven of them, and you check to make sure everybody's paid the meter to park their car. And if they didn't pay the meter, I was to write them a citation. It was a tough job. I said, God, this is not what I went through five years of seminary for. What month am I on? Sixth month, seventh month, eighth month, ninth month, tenth month, eleventh month, twelfth month. I said, God, it's been a year. What are you doing? Fourteenth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifth, whatever number I'm on. Finally, a year and three months after graduation, got a phone call from a church in San Diego. He didn't have to sell me. He probably was about halfway through the job description. I said, yes, okay? <laughs> Sometimes God wants us to praise him for delays. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what goals you have. I don't, have, I don't know what experiences you're having at work or whatever, 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 or whatever experiences you're having through your kids, okay, or whatever, whatever. But sometimes God delays us so that you will experience praise when you're trusting God alone. And it happens. Paul had a plan. But for 20 years, he couldn't get through that plan. He's been prevented God's direction, the circumstances of life, your health, whatever it was, God delays you from getting where you want to go and where God wants you to go. And God delays. Verse 13. Do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Christian farming, here you go. How will, how, what are Paul's long-term goals for his ministry to the Romans? What are his long-term goals? Number one, ministers, we're back to talking to you about being a minister. A minister seeks to accomplish spiritual goals in Kansas. Spiritual goals in Kansas. I know some of you have ties in Nebraska and I know Oklahoma and all that, but anyway, you're living in this area. And God wants spiritual goals to be met and you should want spiritual goals to be met in this state. First goal that he had was to obtain some fruit among you also. Ministers are seek to accomplish spiritual goals. The goal was to obtain some fruit. He wanted fruit. Paul used the metaphor of fruit all the time. Good things, bad things. He used fruit. Paul's ministry was an unending desire to 
get spiritual fruit. His preaching, his teaching, his writing of letters were not the end of themselves. He wanted fruit from the people he ministered to. You want fruit. You want fruit from whatever job you have. That's where you want fruit. You want fruit. You want spiritual fruit. The purpose of true ministry is for God to bear fruit in His name, with His power, for His glory. John 15, 16, He did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. The reason you have been saved is to bear fruit. You want to bear fruit and you do it right where you're at. You do not have to go anywhere outside of Kansas. You've got your fruit farm here. Servants need to have a goal bearing fruit from those you serve. Everyone that comes in your door this week for an appointment, you want fruit from them. You need to be more concerned about what happens to them than what happens to you. You lose your job this week, you want to produce more fruit. You want fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Fruit comes from being wise enough to do what God wants us to do. You produce fruit by walking like Jesus. You produce fruit comes from a life of a believer who's controlled by the Holy Spirit. You want fruit. The Bible uses fruit three ways. First, fruit of actions. The fruit of spirit actions. The fruit of spirit actions. There are ninefold fruit talked about in Galatians. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, all gentleness, all that thing. All those, you want spiritual fruit. Second, you want fruit of righteous actions. The work of sanctification in your life, where you produce righteous actions, that's fruit. Hebrews 13, 15, through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of the lips that gives Him thanks to His name. You want to produce righteous actions In this case, praising God for what He's doing in your life. Third, fruit of evangelistic actions. Spiritual fruit involves additions to the body of Christ, having people saved through the gospel message. Romans 16.5, likewise, the church that is in their house, greet my beloved Ipcaneus, who is the first fruits of Acacia to Christ. In other words, you want fruit people being saved. You want people being saved. And you want people to be saved. And that's your short-term, long-term goal for Kansas. That's what you want to be accomplished. Salvation of others. Second. End of verse 13. So that you may obtain some fruit among you also, even among the rest of the Gentiles. What are Paul's long-term goals for his ministry to the Romans? Second. Ministers seek to accomplish long-range spiritual goals in the world. Believers, ministers want to accomplish long-range goals in the world. You do not want to stop in Kansas. You want fruit beyond Kansas. Again, part of that work of discipleship and growing other believers, you want fruit. You want fruit. It's the best, most encouraging thing to go visit people that I've spent time with over the years and know that they're producing fruit and and knowing that God is working through them. 
You want to see fruit. You want to see fruit in Kansas, and you want to see fruit everywhere. Fruit everywhere. The rest. Paul's design for Rome was to go to Spain. He wanted to preach the gospel in Spain. He wanted the people in Rome to help him with his ministry to Spain. There's nothing more encouraging to pastors, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, Christian workers than to see spiritual results from the lives of the people he's ministering to. God, Paul wanted people and everyone to know the Lord Jesus Christ to maximize the number of fruit produced. Application. Will I create more opportunities for God to help more people through my serving others, and will I encourage those in my life with that spiritually feed me? In every person here, we have people that feed us, and we have people we feed. The people we feed, we want to minister to and serve. The people who serve us, we, we want to thank them for serving us. We want to encourage those in my life to spiritually feed me. We want to create more opportunities for God to help those people. And we want people, God saved, God working in lives, being saved. We want more fruit. We want more fruit. Now the challenge is, will you live a life this week of pride, if you live a life of pride this week, you will have no fruit. Absolutely zero. You live a life of humility and love, you'll produce fruit. It starts with your heart. Not mine, not the person sitting next to you, your heart. How will your week be? Good, bad, fruitful? non-fruitful, prideful, humble. The test starts tomorrow. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for giving to us the Holy Spirit to help us, Father, produce fruit. And we know it comes by you, Father, and we know you do it. But, Father, you use us as a middleman. And I pray, Father, for every middleman in this room, that you would help us to minister to others this week. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified through our lives, through this church, for the good of Kansas, for the good of the world. I pray, Father, that you would do a great work in our lives, through our lives by our words and our actions, for your glory and honor. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.